0: to take a delay, learn to take a silence, and then after all is done, we can say, I don't have it, but I've got a friend that does. And I'll talk to my friend. I'm unable to supply what you need. I'm unable to save your soul. I'm unable to rescue you out of your backslidden way. But I've got one I'll talk to who is able to help you. That's what this man did. And the man his friend that gave him the bread, he didn't give the bread just because he asked him. He gave the bread because he didn't want to hear any more about it. God loves for his people to beg him. Because you see, it isn't that God doesn't have it to give. God is developing us. He's developing patience in us. And it's through the avenue of prayer. Why, folks, if God gave us everything we asked, the moment that we asked, we wouldn't be be worth a dime. But oh, when we wait on God and we pray about this matter, we pray about that person, we seek God's help and beg God to help us, He's developing us. Even while He's in the process of answering our prayer, intercession is great, folks. Don't give up on intercession. I'm going to turn it back to the pastor here. I think we're going to have about five or ten minutes here and the and We'll get back to you. Okay. Prayer has. Now, I know we agree with that, but I want you to remember that there's nothing compares with the power that prayer has. You see, power is the one power on earth that commands the power of heaven. Prayer is the one power on earth that commands the power of heaven. There is no other power that commands it. If you want illustrations of that, all you have to do is turn to the book of Acts. And you can see the the, uh, individuals there and the churches involved. They had great power. Peter, a fisherman, preached on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 souls were gloriously saved. We read that sometimes as just common news, but folks, let me tell you, if 3,000 souls were saved at the Arvada Baptist, uh, in in this church in Arvada, the whole country would know about it, right? We read about their healings, and we know that healing, of course, is, is over with as far as... Healing is concerned. We read about the disciples, Paul and Silas, getting put in jail. And because of that, a soul was saved. And his whole family. We read about Peter and others that were put in jail. And miraculously, the, de- the jail doors were open at night. Were open and they were led out of jail. Folks, that's power from heaven. You see, there are untold and unknown blessings that are laid up in heaven for us. And I want you to get that. There's untold and unknown blessings that are laid up in heaven for each of us tonight. There's the power to be a blessing to others. Is every Christian a blessing to others? No. But that power is available. It's laid up in heaven for us. There's the power to equip us for God's work on earth. Is, ever, is there ever a Christian in the service of the Lord today and working for the Lord? No. But he could pray and that power would be extended to him. It's laid up there. You see, the power of the triune God waits for prayer. And every word I'm giving here is very important, but I'm going to repeat these several times. A power of the triune God waits for prayer to release that that power and bring it down to earth. God, as I said yesterday, is waiting for us to pray about things that he would like to accomplish. And would accomplish if we would pray and be willing to be the servants that he wants us to be. As we said to the disciples jesus disciples activities in prayer i've noticed this about it there was very little thought given to personal needs and personal happiness very little thought about personal needs and personal habits uh happiness the one thing that possessed them was god's glory it seems like the one thing that possessed them was that men must be saved and all you have to do is just search the scriptures. Now it requires enlarged hearts, and I spoke about the enlargement of the heart yesterday. It requires enlarged hearts to engage in intercessory prayer because most of our prayers, as i 'll say again later on, concerns ourselves, us, me, my, and very little of our prayer. In most cases, involve others. You see, we cannot pray continually for ourselves, or at least we shouldn't. You see, one's faith and one's love and one's perseverance will become active only as he prays for others. But I ask the question tonight how can we become more faithful and successful in our prayers? We'd like to think that every time we pray, it's answered, but we know better than that. Many of God's people stand totally disappointed in prayer because they hardly ever see success. You see, our Lord taught us a lesson that I'm going to refer to here in Luke 11 by a parable. This parable is going to be a story about a neighbor's friend at midnight interceded for another who was in great need, and so I want us from this parable to learn some of the elements of true intercession, going in between, praying for others. I want to read this passage of scripture. This is from chapter eleven, verses five through eight. Very familiar to most of us. And he said unto them, and by the way, this is in the prayer of con- context of prayer here. He's uh, chapter eleven, verse one. The disciples ask to be taught how to pray, and then he gives the model prayer. And then in verse 5, he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine is in his journey, and has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise. And give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. In verses 5 and 6 of that parable, I determined there that this was an urgent need. This was a friend that came to another friend's house at midnight and he was hungry and there was no food in his friend's house and nowhere to buy food you could just put yourself in that position somebody coming to your door saying i'm hungry and you have to tell him i'm i understand you're hungry but i have no food this was a very urgent need you see to learn to intercede We must do two things. We must see and feel the need around us. And most of us are so self-centered that we don't see much except ourselves. And yet there are millions following Islam in the time that I'm speaking that are in total spiritual darkness. There are millions of ignorant and indifferent nominal Christians. And even in true churches... Many know little about the biblical walk of life which is fed with the bread of heaven or the word of God. You see, if we're aware of these conditions, it ought to drive us to intercede for others, shouldn't it? So let's just concentrate for a moment and realize these needs. Again, Christless souls going out into outer outer darkness, even as we speak, dying without ever knowing the Savior. Neighbors, friends, souls that we're in contact with dying are dying without any hope at all. And there are Christians that we know personally living in sickly, feeble, fruitless lives. You see, the point that I'm making here is that there is such a great need of prayer. And nothing but prayer to God will avail in these situations that I've described. Nothing but prayer. So there was an urgent need. Also in verses 5 and 6, I note that the friend willingly exhibited love toward the midnight visitor. I think you can see that. He opened the door. He invited him in. He, Heard what his need was. He took his tired, hungry friend into his heart. He didn't excuse himself because he had no bread himself. That's very important to remember that. He didn't excuse himself because he had no bread in his own house. But at midnight, he began searching elsewhere for bread to feed his his suffering friend. In other words... He sacrificed his sleep to find the needed bread for his hungry neighbor and his hungry friend. It's in the nature of love to give up self as well as to forget self for the sake of the loved one. That's the nature of love. That's not the, na- that's not the nature of the old Adamic nature that he, each, each of us uh, possess. The nature of love is to give up self as well as to forget self for the sake of the loved one and also for others. Little scripture referenced in the New Testament said, Love seeketh not its own. You see, love takes the need of others and makes them its own. Love finds joy in living and dying for others. How do I know that? It's exemplified by the Lord Jesus Christ. He found joy in living, but he found joy in dying that all of us that are here today with Christ as Savior, he had us in mind. You see, a mother continues praying for her wayward son. A good Christian mother never gives up on their son. You see, there's a real love for souls in need that will result in intercession. And most Christian mothers understand this. They intercede constantly for their children, and hopefully fathers do as well. But a person can do much for others without having real love. You say, Brother Zellner, how can that be? Well, a lawyer can give his time, and I know you're paying him, but he can give his time, he can become involved with you, He'll take your calls day and night in most cases, as long as you pay him. And he'll represent you, a good one will. And yet, there doesn't have to be any love there. A doctor, a good doctor, can do everything that he can to save your life. But love doesn't have to be there. And we could name other professionals. You see, how can this happen? How, how may we... How, you, you see, the ones that I mentioned here—the examples—is the lawyer, the doctor. He may do it for the love of, the, of his profession, and because he is faithful to that profession. And this brings me to say this: that even Christians can be devoted, and they can be self-sacrificing, without having a Christ-like love for for needy people. You really, can. The lack of true love causes much shortcomings in our prayer, in our prayers, our prayers. You see, there's a need today to put away our professional Christianity. We've got a whole generation or so, maybe two or three generations, that they're engaged in professional Christianity. We need to put away our professional Christianity and satisfaction in being diligent And then we'll be compelled to pray. Most Christians are satisfied perfectly the way they are. I say most. I don't know you, so I'm not talking about you individually. We've just become satisfied. Christianity to us has become a profession. And we go to the hospital. No, we go to church. (laughs) On Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Just a profession. This lack of true love, I've asked the question, why is this? You see, because we cannot be satisfied of the ministry entrusted to us if souls are not saved. That and let me say it again. We cannot be satisfied of the ministry entrusted to us if souls are not saved. That's the reason we've become professional. That's the reason that we have become satisfied. A neighbor of ours can be lost, and we seldom think of it sometimes. A friend of ours that we've known for years can be lost, we seldom think of it. A fellow Christian can have all kinds of difficulties in their families, as well as just their individual lives, and so often we forget it and think nothing about it. You see, what I'm saying here when I say a friendly, this friend willingly exhibited love toward his midnight visitor by getting up and going to the door, true love must pray. Real, genuine love, as described in the Scriptures, has to pray. You remember yesterday I spoke about uh, those people who would die if they couldn't pray? Those people who prayed for others when they weren't asked to pray for others? Those people who prayed for others before they were ever asked? This deals with intercession. This deals with our heart. In verse 6 of this parable, the friend had a sense of helplessness. You see, the friend received his traveling friend at midnight and was willing to feed him, but he had no bread. That's kind of a bad fix to be in, isn't it? I would like to feed you, but I don't have anything to give you. You see, love is a powerful force, but it has its limitations. Now you say, Brother Brother Zeller, you're you're, uh, contradicting yourself. Just stay with me. Love is a powerful force, but it has its limitations. You see, a father might be willing to give his life for his dying child, but be totally unable to save that child. We've seen that happen. You see, impotence and inability sent the friend out begging on the part of his friend that came to the door. You see, this same sense of helplessness in God's servants is a strength of life, of the life of intercession. You and I will never intercede, intercede for people as long as we think we can do it ourselves. The story says, I have nothing to set before him. Nothing to set before him. And at that point, at that point, intercession becomes the only hope. I may have knowledge, I may have the truth, I may even have a loving heart, and I may be even ready to give. But I cannot save my friend who is in desperate need. Does that make sense? A great motto for all of us as children of God is, I have nothing. And it's only when we come to that time to say, I have nothing that real intercession comes to be. And then we're going to develop that thought out right here. You see, it requires God's power to save a soul. Can't do it. We all know that. All right, it requires God's power to fill a brother's desperate need. I'm totally insufficient. One of the qualities or one of the traits of early... Christian education was people who came to believe they were sufficient when they were insufficient. But folks, we sit here tonight; none of us sufficient. But we have a God and serve a God that's all sufficient. There's none of us here tonight that can 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 save a soul. There's none of us here tonight that can that can uh, uh, give the proper help to those even amongst Christians. And so here we have a great motto, I have nothing. Even the weakest Christian can petition God for blessings upon others. Isn't that amazing? The weakest Christian can petition God for blessings upon others. How many times have I seen people who I've had the privilege of introducing to Christ and having seen them trust Christ, and right away they'll say, I've got a brother that's unsaved. I've got a mother that's unsaved. I've got an uncle that's unsaved. You see, even that one that's just been saved can petition God for blessings upon others. Now, in, again, in verse five, there's an exhibition of faith. He had a wealthy neighbor that was capable of supplying the need. He didn't have the food, but he had a wealthy neighbor that could supply the need. and he was sure that he was sure all that he had to do was to ask. That's the parable. And the wealthy neighbor would supply. He was sure of that. And so faith made him leave his home at midnight. Notice this is the midnight hour. Faith made him leave his home at midnight. And if his neighbor didn't have what he needed, he would go to yet another neighbor. This man was sincere. You see, it's just such simple faith that moves God to give that which is needed. We make a lot out of faith, and certainly it's a huge subject, but it's pretty simple. It's just believing God. That's all. You see, when the need is genuine or real, we know we make no mistake in praying for it if the need is real. And God's Word stirs us and strengthens this kind of faith. That's simply reading the scriptures and reading the principles that tell us, yes, this is a real need. And we're encouraged to ask God about it. You see, God's word reveals that God is waiting. We've already talked, talked about that yesterday, that God is waiting and he delights in sending his blessings in answer to prayer. God is, and I'm going to say it again. Can you get the concept here? God is waiting to extend blessings to his people. He doesn't do like a lot of people. A lot, a lot of people do, and that's tease us and say, "Well, ask for it. If you ask for it, you know, then I, no, I've, I've I decide won't give to you." God is waiting, and and this is revealed His Word, and He delights in sending His blessings to answer in prayer. How do we know this? Because of His promises. Making wonderful promises. We'll be dealing with this all week long. He said, "Ask what you will, and I'll give it to you." Now, there's some quality, There's some conditions there. We'll be studying that as well. But his testimonies. When Peter preached, Peter was not a great preacher. He was not a superhuman being. But God chose Peter of all of the disciples. Never have understood that. But he chose Peter of all the disciples to preach on the day of Pentecost. And Peter brought a very simple message, a very knowledgeable message. I'll concede that. And 3,000 souls were saved. God was waiting simply to save souls. You see, in prayer, the weakest child of God, as I said a moment ago, can become an instrument of God to dispense blessings to the needy. No matter who you are here tonight, you can be used as a servant of God to dispense blessings to the needy. Don't put yourself down. If you're saved tonight, you, you can be used. And no, I don't care how, how old you are, whether you go to a restaurant, they don't have to ask you whether you give it a senior discount, they just give it to you. <laughs> that's, that's kind of embarrassing, but it happens, doesn't it? <laughs> but the weakest of God's servants can be used of God to dispense blessings to the, to the, real, to the needy. And we're, we're talking about intercession. We'll get to it in just a second. Importunity. We're told in verse 8. Importunity. That just means asking and asking and asking and asking. Or his insistence on something. Importunity prevailed. The friend's faith met a a very sudden and unexpected reply. For in verse 7, his friend who had the supplies that he needed said trouble me not the door is now shut and my children are in bed with me I cannot rise and give thee had he expected this I don't think so or he wouldn't have gone to the door but his love for his friend and his great concern was nevertheless disappointed he thought sure my neighbor's got a lot of of bread a lot of food you give it to me But this man refused to accept the answer. And his plea was threefold. Threefold. Number one, my friend is in great need. Two, you have what I need. And three, I am your friend. In other words, he refused to accept the denial. You see, his love that opened the door at midnight and then left to get help, it must succeed. There was no turning back. The central lesson of this story is simply this. The answer to our intercessory prayer may be Met with difficulty or even delay. I'll give you this story later on, in another lesson, but uh, George Mueller prayed for a man that was lost for 40, uh, I'm sorry, for sixty years, and saw the man saved before he died. He prayed for another man the same way. And he wasn't saved until after he died. I said to a lady I think the other uh, last night that a lot of god's people's prayers are being answered a lot of god's people's prayers that were uttered a hundred or fifty or or two hundred years ago are being answered today. You see our life is so self-centered until we think everything everything just circles around us, but my friends. And I sound like John McCain, don't I? I said, "My friend, let me say this: that Jesus in the seventeenth chapter of John prayed for you and me, and that's been two thousand years ago. We don't often think that way. So, the answer to our intercessory prayer may meet with difficulty, even as this parable tells us. Or it may it may uh, it may meet with delay." And sometimes God just says, I cannot give thee. I'm using the the man's words. I cannot give thee. It's very difficult to pursue and persevere in full confidence when they get that answer. And yet this is what God is seeking from us. You see, God values our confidence in him. He values our confidence in him. And he so values our confidence in him that he will do whatever is necessary to train us in this exercise of trust in him. He'll delay it. He'll say no in order to bring us to trust him and for him to get the glory no matter what. You see, blessed is the man who staggers not at God's delay. Blessed is the man who staggers not at God's silence. Blessed is the man who staggers not at, the, at God's refusal, but trusts him and gives him the glory no matter what. For in verse 8, we're told that he received a rich reward. There's a great need today to believe in the certainty of much prayer. We have a whole lesson on that. It's persevering prayer. If you have difficulty in praying much about a matter, then focus on the reward. If you have difficulty praying for a lost person weeks and weeks and months and months and months, think about the reward when that person is saved, if you see him saved. If you have difficulty continuing praying for someone who's, who's a backslidden Christian, don't give up because the reward is great. Uh, we understand that man's will is involved in there. We'll have more on that in, another, in other lessons. But focus on the reward. We, learned, we need to learn to count on God's assurance that real prayer will never be in vain. And, folks, I know I'm talking to Christians tonight, but let me say that again. Real prayer will never be in vain. Trust God. Then the intercession for others will take first place and will be the last thing for which we cannot find time. If we trust God, It'll be the last thing. Intercession will be the last time that we'll not find time. We'll keep on praying. You see, it'll become a joy because we know that God will reward. That's what this whole parable is about. He will rise, and notice the words, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Not just one puny loaf, but all that he needs. Andrew Murray, who's a one of the finest writers. He's one of those writers that of centuries or well uh, probably a hundred years ago that you have to read and reread and reread and reread to get what he's saying. But this is what he said. He said, "Time spent in prayer will yield more than that given to work. Time spent in prayer will yield more." Than that, than that given to work. I think it's in George Whitfield's biography that I read many years ago that made this statement and he proved it. He said, I've got so much to do today that I've got to spend three hours before I ever start doing it in prayer. Andrew Murray goes on to say, say this. He said, prayer alone gives work its worth and its success you see without prayer none of us would be successful you see prayer opens the way for God himself to do his work in us and through us Andrew Murray said folks God is our friend at midnight hour And it's my hope and prayer tonight that we'll learn to say to the needy. Now, get what I'm saying. That we'll learn to say to those that have real needs. I have nothing to set before you. But I have a wealthy friend. I don't have what you need. But I've got a wealthy friend. You see, may we long to witness the salvation of souls. May we sense our helplessness, our utter helplessness in saving a soul. But may we, with an importunity cry out to God for help. You see, between the impotence, between our impotence, which means our insufficiency, our lack of power, and God's omnipotence, which is His all power, Intercession is the wonderful link between the two. Amen. Learn to intercede. Learn. This is, this is reverse to the rescue mission downtown. Down there you have to hear the message and then you eat. He thought you eat and then you go home. So we kind of had to persuade him to stay. <laughs> so good to see all of you tonight. Isn't it good to be in the Lord's house? Amen. really is. I, I've looked forward to this week. And uh, we had a great day yesterday. At least I do. I did. And if you didn't, don't tell me because I, I still want to think I had a great day. Uh, had a good day today. Get up this morning, a little cool. But uh, it's a different kind of cold than it is in Texas. And uh, it's very refreshing. We just had a good time all day today. Well, we're here to study about prayer. One of the most common mentioned things of the scriptures is the word of prayer. And yet I find so often that we know so little about it. Sometimes we have the idea if I can talk, I can pray. Well, to some degree that's okay, but there's so much more to prayer than just being able to talk. Tonight we're going to be, the first session is going to be a portrait of intercession. I told my wife tonight before I came, I said, the problem with having two sessions each night, which I love, is I've got to shift gears in about five or ten minutes after the second one, or after the first one and get into the second one. And These are two different ones, obviously. Several years ago, when I was doing some study on prayer and extending my notes, I was, I was reading a book and, about prayer, and they had a whole chapter or two, in fact, the whole book was on intercession, and I thought, that's an area that I have forgotten about. That's an area that I've skipped. And obviously, when we're talking about intercession, we're talking about praying for others and praying for other things, other issues. And so we're going to be looking in the passage of Scripture in Luke 11, verses 5 through 8, but I want to read that in just a little bit. I want to say a few things first. There are many elements today that exhibit power. We're living in a power age. Nuclear power can furnish the power for large cities today. The Internet has uh, given us power to communicate worldwide. We have rocket power that has carried man to the moon and circled the planets. I can't comprehend that kind of power. It's so powerful. And yet nothing, and I want you to understand this, that nothing compares with the power